Well, good morning, everybody. I'll say welcome as well to Northridge. Glad you are here. My name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and uh, so glad to be here. And obviously, you can tell that, no, I'm not going to do stand-up comedy. Obviously, if I'm wearing the mic, you're like, why don't you have the headset on? Well, the reason is because I'm not going to be sharing the whole time here. In fact, you don't have to deal with me today. You're welcome for that. Um, but I did want to kind of just set the tone and help us understand where we're going today because that is really, really important. So we are in the the last, actually this is the last message in the series called Shatter versus Bounce. So we've been talking about this a lot. Basically the premise is simple. Almost everything in your life is a rubber ball. It's meant to be, it's supposed to be thrown down or dropped at times. It's important These things are important. These things in your life are definitely important. It's not that they don't matter. They do matter. It's just that they are rubber balls, and you can and even should set them down at times. But then there are very, very few precious things in life that are a glass ball. They should not be dropped. They should not be thrown down, because if they do, they shatter. Now, uh, I know that that's jumping into the deep end of the pool. We've already jumped in there several times, haven't we? Nick, like seriously, like deep end joy stuff before announcements, right? But the truth is that what we're going to deal with today, because a lot of people have been feeling this, I know, throughout this series, because a lot of people have been reaching out. There's a lot of shame from our life. There's a lot of shame because we, I don't know about you, but if I were to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if I said, how many of you have made a mistake in life? Yeah, that was me. Pastor Nick's got his hand up anyway. I said, you didn't have to, but he's, we're, we're all in, all right? What happens when we drop the glass ball? So I'm going to invite Pastor Chris uh, to go ahead and come on up here. And uh, let me just say this. I, I know I've said this before. I've said this more recently. Uh, but we have an amazing staff here at the church. We really do. Like, it is amazing. I, I don't, it is incredible that I get to work with these people. Uh, it's amazing that they're willing to work with me uh, is awesome. And so Pastor Chris is our student ministries pastor. She leads our kids ministry. She leads the Club 56. She helps with youth. She does a whole bunch of other stuff. Let me just say that. Um, and so Pastor Chris is not only going to preach today, but she's going to share her story that has very much to do with a glass ball. And I'll let her tell that. But what I would like for you to do before she speaks is can we just uh, honor what she does? Because you don't get to see her physically every Sunday. But let me just tell you, she works her tail off for this church and for God's kingdom. And so can you just thank her real quick before she gets up? Thank you. Well, that's embarrassing. All right. Well, good morning. I am going to just arrange a few things here. Um, So as Pastor Brent, I have to get my names right now, Pastor Brent mentioned I'm the student ministries pastor. Um, We've been around Northridge for quite a while. I just want to give you a little bit of background so that if you don't know me, you kind of understand where I'm coming from because it'll it'll be important later. So we have um, been a part of Northridge since about the summer of 2014. Um, I was ordained in 2019, meaning I took classes in order to become a pastor, and they said that I was good to go, and so here I am. Um, Paul and I have three kids that we just sent one off to college uh, this fall who is thriving and loving life, and we've heard from her twice. Um, Yay for social apps, because I can see her through that when she doesn't call. Um, And then the other two are here. We have a junior, and we have an eighth grader. So I'm going to be sharing some of my personal story um, because it's really important. As we were working on this series and we were really talking about the rubber ball and the glass ball, we knew, we knew, we knew, as has already been said several times today, that there would be a lot of guilt and shame that would be brought up. That potentially it is a surprise to you. Possibly it's not because it's something that you're dealing with every single day. And so as we've been going through this series that has been really, really good, but really, really hard, we also knew that we had to address the fact 
what if some of the rubber balls have gotten dropped? What if the glass ball has gotten dropped? Because the reality is we can talk about glass balls and how important they are and how we need to prioritize them. But for a lot of us, the truth is there's some that have already shattered. And so that's what we're going to deal with today. So some of my story has <laughs> adult content in it. So if you have young ones that you're not sure you want them to hear a few things, it's OK for you to take them to kids' classes. We have classes that are there for them to go and have fun and enjoy. Um, it's up to you. Don't feel embarrassed if in the middle of it you feel like it's a good transition. Go ahead and do what you need to do. There's freedom in that this morning. So for my sake and your sake, let's uh, take a deep breath. And I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we just give this time to you this morning. It is yours to do with. We thank you that you are here amongst us already. We thank you that you have been working in our lives. And we thank you that this is holy ground because you are here. Thank you for allowing us to be a part. May your words and your work this morning touch our hearts and our minds wherever they need to and allow us to be open to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Some of you may have heard pieces of my story before. Um, I'm going to go through it a little bit quick. This is about one particular season. It's not my entire life story. Um, so I was uh, 20 years old when I got married the first time. Um, 20 years old. We had dated in high school. I went to college, had broken it off. We got back together. And um, we had actually done premarital counseling. We had gone into the church, done our counseling, and um, the answer that we got back was, you guys have a few red flags that maybe you might want to work on before you get married. And as a 19, 20-year-old, the response was, uh, we'll show you. So as you can guess by the fact that I said I was married at 20, we went ahead and we got married. And um, it was a very long, very intense, very short marriage. The marriage itself lasted about a year and a half. Uh, what I want to do is give you a little bit of insight into some of the things that were happening because it helps us to understand what's going on. Um, after we got married, I was still in college, and so we went to college together, and we lived in a house. We had been engaged for a year living together, and then we got married. So my sophomore year, my third year of school, is when we were married. During that time, there was a lot of anger on my side, a lot of fighting. Um, some would just say it was immaturity because we were young, uh, but the truth of the matter is there was just unhealth there as well. Uh, so amongst the fighting and amongst all of that, um, I was traveling a lot because I had gone to school on a debate scholarship. Some of you have heard me talk about that before. And what that meant was that we had practices during the week, but it also meant that every weekend, like basically Friday through very late Saturday night, sometimes early Sunday morning, we would travel for tournaments. And I was very, very good at debate. Um, state was, we won state my senior year. And so uh, that was kind of my community, and he was not a part of that community. And so when I was gone, he was at home. And um, there were a lot of things that I didn't know because I was gone. Some of those things were that uh, we were both very self-focused, meaning we were wanting to have fun and enjoy the college life as uh, young 20-year-olds. And some of it was that... Um, the fighting and the anger towards each other needed to have outlets in other places. Mine was during debate, traveling, doing what I love to do, being around people that were my people and they encouraged me, and we knew the inner workings of the world. His release was going to the bar, having extra relationships, um, some drug use that I found out about later. And all of that I did not realize was happening while I was gone. Because I would come home and during the week we would be together. And there were some good times in there too. But I just had no idea what was going on. 
At one point, uh, we had a lot of money issues because you're young to start with, but he had um, a pornography addiction, and I didn't know that going into the marriage. And what that meant was this was during the time when in order to get onto the computer, you had to listen to until you were about to pull your hair out, and then it would link up. Uh, so he um, managed to purchase a computer using a loan that I didn't know he had taken out in order to participate in this addiction. And what that meant was it was charged per minute. And you can imagine we got some very large phone bills. In fact, it got so bad, and I did not know what was going on, that I talked to my uncle, who was in law enforcement, and he was saying that at this time, they were just starting to see the beginnings of like fraud, where people were able to you know, get online or use other accounts and all of that. And so he told me to submit it to law enforcement, which I did. Um, he guided me through that. Um, we're talking thousands of dollars. And somehow, all of that was forgiven because I, in all truthfulness, said it was not our charges, that there was something going on. Somebody else had gotten a hold of the credit card and was running up the phone bill. So after all of that, I went on a trip. And during this trip, I got a phone call. And he was crying, and he let me know that one of his friends, one of his closest friends there in school, had been killed in a house fire. And in this house was also where we had been keeping our mountain bikes and a few of our other larger equipment that we couldn't keep in our house because it was small. It was very small. Um, and so, of course, I'm asking if he's okay, and he's saying he'll be fine. We'll get through it. You know, it's all right. And so came home, life continued. Um, he told me that there wasn't going to be a funeral. The family didn't want to have a funeral. And I had never actually met this friend because this was a friend that he hung out with on the weekends. And whenever we were home, we never hung out with his people together. There were a couple of times that I had gone to the bar with him to hang out. Um, and one of those times was really sobering to me because there was a, a guy there that we both knew, and I was really interested in that time about being accepted and wanted to be liked and looking put together, and I wanted to be one of the pretty girls and never felt like I measured up to those standards. And so as we would um, sometimes go out, this guy drew a caricature that night of me. And let me just say it was not a flattering caricature. And I realized how I was coming across to people, which kind of was a turning point for me, making me realize I needed to start getting some things put back together for me. So after the phone call and the fire, um, I was laying in bed one night, and I could hear him talking. And this is prior to cell phones. And so I picked up the phone in the bedroom line, and I could hear him talking to his old girlfriend back home saying how much he missed her, how much he couldn't wait until the next week and he got to go home. And after about three minutes of this, I hung up and I just lost it. I was weeping and I was facing the corner and when he came in to go to bed, I pretended that I was asleep and I sobbed the entire night. That was pretty much the first confirmation for me that things were really, really wrong. So after about a year, I was trying really hard to keep it together. I was trying really hard to not let other people know what was going on. Uh, my parents had some inklings because they were helping us with some of the financial stuff. But um, it got to the point where I knew that what was happening was not good. And my family was very supportive of listening and trying to encourage and give advice, but it's really hard to give advice when somebody's in the middle of a very unhealthy relationship and they think they can make it work and on the outside you're watching everything explode while the people are imploding inside. 
And so I began going to church whenever we would go back home, which wasn't a whole lot. But for me, I had disengaged completely. I had isolated myself. I um, would go on the debate trips and would just kind of like be gone. And then I would have to come back and face reality. And so I disconnected completely emotionally and everything from the church because I felt extremely guilty about what was going on. Let me just say, after I have mentioned all of these things, I firmly believe it takes two people in a marriage. The amount of hurt and destruction that happened was unbelievable. But I was not pristine and pure. So as we process this, we need to keep in mind that I had my faults as well. There were times when I was seeking verbal affirmation from guys because I was not getting it from my marriage. There were times that I was drinking in order to escape because I was not getting it in my marriage. There were times that I was invited into the pornography. And I will tell you it's destructive. And I will tell you right now that it is men and it's women. And I will tell you right now that there is hope. There is redemption and there is purity that can come out of anything we have experienced. And it may take a lot of time and a lot of mistakes over and over, but it can happen. So this summer we moved back to go home to save money and I had heard about the fire. I was changing schools at this point, and I was going to be going to Black Hill State, which was about an hour and a half away from my house, so we were closer to home. I had more family connections. I was going to church again, and I was knowing that I needed that connection in that community, even though it was extremely hard because of how I was feeling inside, like I wasn't worthy, like I would be ostracized if people really knew how bad things were. And so I had rented, with the help of um, his father, a little house that was close to campus. And there was one night where the last three or four months he had been accusing me of cheating, even though I hadn't in the least bit. And he accused me of wanting to get the house at the campus, and he was going to drive back and forth because he was working, because I wanted to live the party life and have affairs, basically. And I was devastated. And we had a knockdown verbal fight that night, like nobody's business. And his dad came out at one point and told us to shut up because the neighbors could all hear. And so we quieted down. And at the end of that, after all of the accusations, I was so devastated that I went around the house and into the hot tub enclosure. They had a gazebo. And all I wanted was a little bit of privacy. And so I sat down in the corner, literally huddled in the corner, and just sobbed. Because I couldn't believe the man I was married to was accusing me of all of these things. And yet I knew the phone conversations he had been having. And his mom and dad's room was attached to the gazebo and so his mom stayed awake that night until I left because she was worried of what I might potentially do. If you are suicidal today, if you have had thoughts, please know that there is hope. What I'm sharing right now is heavy and if you are having any of those thoughts, Please, please know there is hope. And we're getting there. So after that night, I went to my house. And I went into the bathroom, and I locked the door. And I remember just crying. And, um... My dad came out because it was probably midnight, one o'clock. And he thought I was my sister. And so he, he was outside the door and he was like, Tanya? 
and I'm trying to catch my breath, and I said, no, it's me. That's all I could say. And so my dad went and got a piece of wood and put it between the door and the banister so that in case he came over, he couldn't come inside. Now, he never, ever laid a hand on me. He broke windows. He broke the window in our door. He would do things like that, but he never laid a hand on me. But experiencing my dad's reaction was what made me realize how bad it was. Because I had been living in it long enough that it was normal for me. And that should never be normal. And so we went to church the next morning and he came over asking for forgiveness. And I said I would give him one more chance. We had a conversation out in his yard about the bikes that had burned in the fire because my dad, being wise, wanted to get an insurance claim started so we could get reimbursed for them because they were, you know, pricey bikes. And he resisted tooth and nail, and I couldn't figure out why. And so we were fighting about this. And he started accusing me of just wanting money, didn't trust him, all kinds of things. So I let it go. I went to school, and he was coming back and forth. And that lasted for about two months. And in the meantime, my dad had called and discovered that um, there never was a fire. I know it seems shocking now. For me, it was very shocking. There never was a fire, which meant there never was a death of his friend. And so I confronted him on that. And what he said was my dad didn't care, and he was making it up, and um, there was a fire. His friend was killed, and the bikes were destroyed. And so I'm talking with my parents, and my dad finally said, Chrissy, call the law enforcement. They will tell you if there was a fire or not that night. And so I called. And the gentleman was a little bit frustrated, which I can imagine on his end. He said, I've already told somebody this. There was no fire that night. There was a garbage can that had to be dealt with the day before, but there was no fire that night, especially not a fire that caused a death. And so I had my answer. I had been asking him to do counseling with me because I knew that we needed it. I knew that I needed it. And he kept refusing. He would say he would go, and then every time there was a reason or excuse not to go. And so I sought counsel uh, from a couple in the church about whether or not I could get a divorce and should get a divorce. And I was told that if I got a divorce, I would not be forgiven. Because if you've been reading Matthew chapter 6 and 5 and 7, like the challenge has been, it says in there, do not divorce. It says in there, if a man divorces a wife and he sends her away and another man marries her, he is marrying an adulteress. Don't make her an adulteress. That's a lot for a 21-year-old to process who's trying to do things right now. And I will tell you, they were wrong. They had the best of intentions, but they were wrong. Because those scriptures are specifically Jesus trying to get the men to understand they were not to throw their wives away like trash. They were to cherish them like Jesus cherishes his bride. Because anything that is broken and anything that is sinful that we do can and will be redeemed by Jesus' blood when we ask for his forgiveness. So I made the extremely difficult decision to end my marriage. And everything, 
that had been hoped for. Everything that I had watched my parents talk about and live from being dating in high school until they're married today, all of my family, secure, wonderful marriages. And this is mine. So I don't know today what your glass ball is. It may not be marriage. But if you've had anything that is glass ball that has dropped, I'm guessing there's guilt and shame. I'm guessing embarrassment. I'm guessing some things that are hidden because you don't want to talk about them because then other people will know. I'm guessing there's sadness, possibly anger, chasing after desires and joy and fulfillment in things that are anything but, and they're very momentary and fleeting. I don't know what emotions you can identify with, but there's something. You see, when a glass ball gets shattered, or even when it gets dropped and there's cracks in it, but it's not completely broken, we wonder if we're worthy and if it will ever get better. And those are dark times. There was a verse that I had heard when I was going back to church, and it was kind of like, you know, when a nettle gets stuck in your sock and you just can't get it off, it just clings in there. The verse was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I did not understand this verse, and yet I could not get it out of my mind. It just kept playing over and over and over. Because you see, what I was experiencing was a little bit um, like this picture. We know that there are beautiful fall colors out there right now. Just vibrant, beautiful colors. Like that is a picture I took this week while I was sitting outside a pond. And through that year and a half of marriage, it went from being bright and beautiful down into this black and white, where I could still see details, but there was no color, there was no joy, there was no happiness. It was black and white. And then eventually it kept going for me where I got to this place where it was basically like hot and cold. Like if you looked at that picture, you would have to look a really long time to see what it is. There's a lack of emotions. And a lot of times the one that rises to the top is anger because anger is a secondary emotion that covers up all of the hurt and pain underneath. And so I was trying to go through life. I was trying to go through counseling. I was trying to figure things out. I was trying to get clarity. And the nights, the nights were horrendous. Anytime we are struggling with hurt or pain, the night is when we feel alone. The night is when everything comes rushing back in because there are no distractions that come from the busyness of the day. I tried that. I tried that a whole lot. But I would go to bed at night and I would cry. Um, I had the blessing of having a, a little furball named Tyson. He was a mutt. I can't even tell you what he was, but he was my companion. And that dog had emotional compassion like nobody. Like he was with me all the time. The only time he really got in trouble was when he pulled his bed over the floor heating vent because the house had one of those like four by four heating vents. And he pulled his little foam bed right over it and I uh, walked into like a house filled with black smoke. <laughs> and he slept in my bed from then on. <laughs> he had access to the bedroom. Uh, we need to laugh, right? So I wanted to believe more than anything that I could be whole again, that I could not hurt, that life could be normal, because I was doing things during the day and it seemed like everything could be okay, and then the night would come again, and I would have to deal with that. And I will tell you that even though the night is hard, it was also the place that God met me. 
because that verse kept going through my head, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, and I didn't have a whole lot of trust for anything at that point. But there was also a realization that I had to deal with some emotions because I had gone to the red and the blue and there weren't connections being made. This quote was uh, very impactful for me when I read it. It's from Dr. Anita Phillips, and she said, disconnecting from your feelings is not an act of faith. It's an act of avoidance. The unresolved pain is still there beneath the surface, eroding your well-being. It is only our unattended sadness, anger, and fear that eventually threatens the ground of our hearts, not the feeling itself. Some of you need to read that line again. It's not the sadness and the fear. It is not the embarrassment. It is not the uncertainty. It is the unattended emotions that we ignore and we bury and we pretend are not there because we want to be okay. The unattended is what erodes our hearts. She goes on to say that we can absolutely stand on God's word while equally making room for authentic emotional expression and healing. Your emotional pain is not mutually exclusive with your spiritual power. Jesus showed us that. This is the Bible that I was given when I got married the first time. You can see it is well-loved. It has lots of stuff in it. It's kind of my carry-around. I thought about getting rid of it and getting a new Bible. But this Bible is the one that got me through the hard times. This Bible is the one that I began marking truths and scriptures and would just have when I needed it. And so right or wrong, I took out the front page that said to Chrissy and the other person. Because this is not his. It is for him. But this is mine. And I was not going to let any hurt get in the way of me connecting with God. And so this Bible has been with me through a lot of things. And it is my chosen Bible that I go to when I need comfort and security and when I am studying scripture and preparing. I will read several others, but this is the one I go to. Because that is what holds the truth for these. It is what everything rests on. whether it is whole or shattered. There was another verse that I kept reading. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That was on my dresser. And when I would lay there at night crying, I would just look over at that. And I would say it, and I would ask God, is this really true? Is this really true? Do you actually have hope for me? Do you actually have a future for me? Because right now, in this dark, it does not feel like it. And what I need to let you know is that feelings are not always truthful. The word of God, if it says he is promising us hope and a future, is true. The word of God is the only absolute truth that we can stand on. He promised it. I wanted to believe it. And I kept saying it to myself. I began going to uh, church. The man that was here at the beginning of the month that preached, Pastor Chris Conrad, is actually the man who married Paul and I. He and his wife did some counseling with us before we got married. Um, he and Mary have walked through many, many things with Paul and I over the years. 
started going to CV, which is the college campus, began making friends. That is actually how I met Paul for the first time. It was a Bible study outside of that, but it was part of that group. Those friends began inviting me to come and sit with them. And if you ever wonder about inviting somebody in, let me tell you this story. I went to church one morning and I was hungover, and so I was sitting in the back because I was embarrassed and I was late. I didn't want to go sit anywhere up front, but I knew I needed to be there, and so I was there. And somebody from that group, that college group, saw me. And we were in a, a, a situation like this where it's pretty bright lights. And they came back and they said, come up and sit with us. <laughs> and I said, no, thank you. And she said, no, really, seriously, there's room. Come up and sit with us. And she grabbed my hand and we walked up and I sat with them. When we are hurt and we are isolating, we exclude ourselves. Be the person that invites somebody. Be awkward. Be uncomfortable. Hey, come sit with us. Come just hang out with us. Come fold laundry at my house. Go do errands with me. Be that person. Invite them in. I had given my life to Jesus when I was going into sixth grade. I had walked away during that season with the marriage. I began coming back during the divorce. But this is the scripture that we need to remember. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything I had gone through up until I started getting healthy emotionally, I said that I was broken and I was damaged and I was unworthy because of what I had been through. But the truth is each and every one of us go through something. Doesn't matter if it's a broken marriage, we go through something and we've all messed up sometimes in small ways and sometimes in big ways. But when we look at God's truth, he tells us there is new birth, meaning when we come back to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you because you died for me. Then we get his strength and we get his power and he helps us walk into new life. We can break old bonds. We can break out of habits that we are in. We can search for new hope because Jesus has promised us that he is there for us. Everything that God says about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins applied to me. And it applies to you. When we go to Jesus and say, I want to follow you with my life. And when we mess up, we go back and we say, I'm sorry, I messed up, please forgive me. And he says, start again, clean slate. Some of you need to realize you've been offered a clean slate and you need to accept it. You're holding off on it because you're saying, I messed up and I'm not worthy of picking it up. And Jesus is saying, I already took care of it. I want to take you from this back to this. Now, there may be aspects that you don't pick back up because they are unhealthy. I was not picking up my relationship that failed with my marriage. I was becoming whole again as a person. And the most important glass ball that Jesus has ever created is you. So if you are feeling shattered and broken for whatever reason, please know that there is hope and there is redemption in Jesus. There is a Japanese pottery called kintsugi. It takes what is broken and it mends it and it makes it beautiful. If any of you have a few thousand dollars laying around, you can buy me a piece for Christmas. They take pottery that has been broken and they glue it back together with a lacquer and epoxy. And then what they do is they take gold dust, 23.5 karat gold dust, it's real gold. 
And they take a brush and they push it into the seams. If it is real kintsugi, not the less expensive one that we could afford. Um, if it's real kintsugi, what they do is they push it into the seam so that it becomes part of the glue. And it gives us a final version like this. Beautiful. You would not look at that vase and say, that is broken. Mm. You look at that vase and you say, those seams, the way it is enhanced, that is interesting. And for some of you, this may not be your aesthetic, but you can't deny the beauty that comes from how the pieces are to what they become. And for some of us, you'll notice that there are spots that are a little bit bigger with the gold. Those are the pieces that are not there anymore. But yet this vase is whole because it has been put back together and filled with gold, just like we are. The sacrifice of Jesus dying is because we are worthy. Us getting healthy is because we are worthy. If there are parts of you that are broken and missing because of hurt or loss, you need to realize that those don't stay that way when we look to God. Because what he does is he fills those spots, just like the heart in this piece of pottery. There are pieces that don't get replaced when we lose a loved one. There are pieces when we end relationships that should not be picked back up. There are pieces that are gone when something is so unhealthy that it will damage us if it is picked back up. Please know when we ask God into our life, he picks the perfect parts of him to fill us. And he seals it with the gold so that it's not going anywhere. We're whole in Jesus. Shattered doesn't have to mean destroyed because we have a living hope in Jesus. I am changed because of Jesus. I had to ask my family if they were okay with me sharing the story. Because it's my story, it's what I walked through. But my story is also inherently part of their story. Because as much as I tried to leave that in the past in its own box, there are threads that pull through. We did a pastor's retreat this week, and the entire retreat was focused on health and healing and emotions. And I realized there were things that bubbled back up to the surface. And some of it was I've been thinking about this, and so it puts me back into that place. But please hear me, when we go back to the places where the hurt has happened and we have worked on healing, if it comes back up again, it's not because you did it wrong the first time or the second time or the third time. It's because we are continuing to heal and we are going at a deeper level. And every time it comes back up and you feel like, I thought I dealt with this, I thought this was done, I thought this was over, please know that Jesus is taking you to that next level of healing. And the effort is worth it. This is my family. And I'm redeemed. We don't always get the happy ending. And I know that. But because I was willing to trust that God had a hope and a future for me, I was willing to trust 
the man he put into my life to help me. And he has been through a lot <laughs> helping me. But he has never once treated me as broken or damaged. Because he knows the power of Jesus in his life. And he is able to see in the lives of others hope for them. So if you need encouragement, find the really handsome guy wearing the jack sweatshirt. Because that man can see beauty like no one's business. And he reminds me of that when I cannot see it. So full circle, I told you earlier how long we'd been part of Northridge. I've actually been part of the Wesleyan denomination since about 95, 96, 97, so a long time. We can say decades, which makes me seem like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Um, but there is something beautiful when we remind ourselves about the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. And there is something beautiful when we can come and say, I've messed up, please forgive me. And I know that you will because your blood was shed on the cross for my sins. And your body was beaten and broken as payment for my sins. So that I can have an eternal relationship with my Savior and with God forever. And Holy Spirit works within our lives to bring us closer and closer every day that we laud him. So today, I get the honor and privilege of sharing communion with you. Communion is a time when we come together to remember the sacrifice that was made. It's a time when we come together to come before Jesus and to say, these are ways that maybe I have messed up recently. Please forgive me. But more importantly, just say it doesn't matter how I've messed up. It doesn't matter how I've been broken. It doesn't matter if it is shattered or if it is whole. You are with me right now in this moment, and you will be with me going forward because there is a hope, a living hope named Jesus, and because he has a future for us. And so we're going to do a song. I'm going to have the worship team come up. While that song is playing, you're going to be dismissed and you'll be free. You won't be dismissed. You'll be free to go back to the stations. There will be people holding the cup and the bread for you. They are there to serve you. It is not embarrassing if you come and you have tears. It is not embarrassing if you have anger that you need to let go of. Whatever you have that you need to give to Jesus, take that time as you walk back. When you get there, you're simply going to take a piece of bread and you're going to dip it into the juice. And then you're going to eat it. I would encourage you, whether you do it here before you go back or whether you get the elements and do it after, spend some time just connecting with Jesus however you need to. There is no rush. I would also say if you feel like there is something that you are holding on to but you want to let go, the pastors are here to pray with you. More importantly, there are people that have walked with Jesus that are here to pray with you. Find someone you feel comfortable with. Don't hold on to things that need to be let go because of embarrassment. Today is the day to bring it and to let it go so that you can be free because of Jesus. If you are gluten-free, the table back on my left, your right, will have gluten-free elements. The rest of them all have normal elements. Please know that there is nothing special that you have to do to come to Jesus. You simply need to say to him, I am yours. Please have me. And his answer will be yes. We practice open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member. You don't have to have even attended before. 
means that as long as you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, meaning you've given him your life, please partake. At the Last Supper, Jesus is the one who started this. And we see it in Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat, for it is my body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. When he told us it's a covenant between God and his people, that is between him and us. And a covenant simply means promise. He promised to be with us always. He promised that a Savior is there for us right now. Thank you for spending the time to listen to my story. Please understand that my story was hurtful, but it was redeemed which is why I can now come and stand before you and share it. And it's why everything I do, I want to point to Jesus. Because it's not about me. It is all about him. So please pray with me. And then when you're ready, feel free to stand up and go to the back where people are waiting to serve you. Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. You were perfect and holy, and you came to earth so that you could die a painful, tortured death on a cross in order to pay for all of our sins. I thank you that you promise us hope and future because you made that payment, and it is won and done. You have taken care of it. This morning, please help us to come and remember that sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us as we honor and celebrate what you have done with communion. I pray this morning for those that are hurting in whatever capacity that you would remind them of your healing, that you would remind them that when we turn to you, that is when we get put back together and sealed. We are broken and we are beautiful because we are here for you, Jesus. Remind us of our worth, remind us of our value simply because we are God's children. In your name we pray, amen.